0: You're listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Bible Church of Paragool. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagool.com. If you have your Bibles, let me invite you to go with me to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 will be in verse 31 through verse 37. And um, if you're listening to this and you're wondering what sounds different, I am actually recording this sermon in my office. And so, uh, once again, we've had some technical difficulties with our sermon recorder, and so um, we've been asked to re-record this sermon so people uh, like you can have an opportunity to listen to it. Um, We are finishing up in the Real Jesus Sermon series that we have been in pretty much for the entire year. Um, We're going to finish up in the series today, and then we'll take a break. Um, all through the uh, from the real Jesus series to the rest of May and the summer and then we 'll kick back up in the fall um, and finish up in this series and so but today we will be in matthew chapter five we 're going to start in verse thirty one and we 'll read down through verse thirty seven These are the words from the real Jesus. It was also said that whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce but I say to you, everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual morality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it is said of those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but you shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is the footstool of or by Jerusalem for it is the city of the great king and do not take an oath by your head for you cannot make one hair white or black let what you say simply be yes or no anything more than this comes from evil let's pray together father we come to you now and we realize that these words that we just read are just as powerful as if you were standing here speaking them they're active and they're living And we ask right now, Holy Spirit, that you do what only you can do. That you take these words and you make them alive in our hearts. Use them for our good and for your glory. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. How many of you that are listening to this have at one time or another owned something with a Bible verse on it? Um, It could be a picture, a painting, a coffee mug, a bumper sticker, um, a t-shirt, a piece of jewelry... Um, something on your refrigerator, maybe even a tattoo. How many of you have owned something um, at some point in your life with a Bible verse on it? I would assume if you're listening to this podcast that the majority of you probably have owned something (laughs) with some scripture on it. But here's what I would be willing to bet, that whatever it is that you've owned that has scripture on it, probably none of you had this verse that we just read on whatever item it is that you're thinking of. In your mind, right? I mean, none of us have ever knitted a quilt with this verse on it and given it to someone as a wedding gift, right? And probably none of us have ever had a coffee mug with this verse on it for people to see as it sits on our desk when people walk in to our office, right? And the reason why is because divorce isn't something that, that we really like to think about, and it's not something we really talk about very often. And as a preacher, um, I don't ever really look forward to, to talking about it either, to be honest. In fact, whenever I planted uh, Fellowship Bible Church, I wasn't sitting there thinking, man, I cannot wait for the day that I finally get to preach on divorce, right? It's not something that we really want to, to mention or to think about, but here's the deal. Um, we need to talk about divorce. It's important that we bring it up for a couple of reasons. One, uh, we need to talk about divorce because Jesus talked about divorce, right? And that's the great thing about preaching through books of the Bible, which we like to do, is it forces us to talk about the things that Jesus talked about, even if it makes us Uncomfortable, and another reason we need to talk about divorce is because it, it, it's just something that happens so often in our culture. I mean, I've seen some statistics that say over fifty percent of marriages right now in our country end in divorce. Uh, recently, I saw that that it says that that out of all the country or all the states in our country, Arkansas, which is the state that I live in, uh, that our church is in, Arkansas is second only to the state of Nevada for the amount of divorces per state. And the county that that I actually live in, Greene County, leads all of the counties in our state for the amount of divorces we have per capita. And so obviously all of us have been impacted by divorce in some way, shape, or form. Maybe some of you listen to this, you've been uh, personally involved in a divorce, right? And you know the physical and the emotional pain that comes from that. Maybe some of you, you, your parents have been divorced and you know how that effects and how that hurts you as a child. Uh, Maybe you're listening to this and you have a healthy marriage or you're single and you've never been married, but I I would be be willing to say that most of us, if not all of us, have been impacted by divorce in some way, shape, or form. And because we never talk about divorce and and preachers very rarely preach on this subject, most of us when we're asked about divorce and what our thoughts are on it, we kind of just shoot from the hip in this area, right? I mean, there are many things that we can point to in the Bible that, that you know seem to support our ideas and why we believe what we believe. But when it comes to this area of divorce, we, we really just kind of, you know, we don't know why we believe what we believe or, or what Jesus has to say on this issue. And so my hope today is that we'll be able to dive in this text and discover what Christ has for us. And, and what I want you to know is this, before I get into this topic on divorce, I want you to know that my aim is not to harm you. Um, But rather, I want to love you well and I want to comfort you in this text. And the good news about the gospel is it reminds us that Jesus actually loves you way more than I love you. And he wants to comfort you way more than I want to comfort you. And so please hear this as we dive into the text. Know that this text, like every other passage in the scripture, is not here to hurt us, but it's here to heal us. Okay, So let's see, what does the real Jesus say on the topic of divorce. If you look with me again in Matthew 5 verse 31, Jesus says, you've heard it said that whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. Now I just want to stop there for a second and talk about the certificate of divorce. In the Old Testament, men were much like men today in the fact that they would divorce their wives over just some pretty crazy stuff. I mean, it might be that, man, this lady said something about my mama, and so I'm leaving her. She keeps burning the food, or or maybe they would look and say, man, I found some girl that I think is hotter than the lady that I'm with right now, so I'm going to leave her and go find someone else. And because this was a culture that was dominated by men, right, women didn't really work. Uh, they didn't have a way of making their own living, and so when a man would divorce his wife, the woman was not allowed to be remarried, and so um, she was kind of just kicked to the curb, right? And she would suffer in great ways. And so what God did is through Moses, he institutes this law that provides what's called a certificate of divorce for any woman, right, who has been divorced. And what would happen is if the woman had not committed physical adultery on her husband, right? If the husband decided to leave her, he would serve her the certificate of divorce that would allow her to remarry. And so the whole point of this law that was instituted in Deuteronomy 24 is actually there to protect the women. Now here's the problem. As we've seen many times before, the Pharisees often misunderstand the law, right? They they take it out of context, that they twist it. And in this particular instance on divorce, they have taken this idea about the certificate of divorce and they had made it more about their own pleasure than the woman's protection. Okay, now with that in mind, hold your spot in Matthew 5 and go with me to Matthew chapter 19. And I want you to look with me starting in verse 3 because here we have the Pharisees and they're talking to Jesus and this account that we see is actually a little bit more detailed account on divorce. And what they're trying to do is, is as usual, they're trying to trap Jesus, okay? And so it says in verse 3, the Pharisees came up to him and tested Jesus by asking, hey, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? I hope you see how horrible that question is. Basically what the Pharisees are saying is, hey, look, Jesus, I mean, uh, you know, we're godly people. We're really good people. And and so what we want you to do is just tell us what are all the good, godly reasons that we can break up, we can divorce our wives, right? We need to know this. In case we marry some loser of a wife, right, what are all the reasons that we can get out of this marriage? See how horrible that question is? I mean, what's behind it is basically the question of, hey, how do I get out of my marriage and still make it to heaven? And I want you to look at how Jesus responds in verse 4. He answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. So the Pharisees say, hey, Jesus, um, what are all the reasons that we need to get divorced? Tell us. And how does Jesus respond? He responds by saying, look, let's go back to the Old Testament which the Pharisees were definitely going to be familiar with. And he says, let's be reminded of God's original design for marriage. God's original design is this. It's that one man and one woman will become one flesh for one lifetime. He reminds them that marriage is, is, is a covenant of love. It is, is this relationship where there is a bond between a man and a woman and there's a bond that is greater than any other bond that exists between any other human being. Maybe some of you are listening to this and you're married, but you feel like, actually, no, I have a much deeper relationship with my children. Well, that's not the way God intended for things to be. He says, no, in marriage, you actually become one flesh with your spouse. You are not one flesh with your kids. The deepest relationship that you have, the only covenantal relationship that you're in outside of your relationship with God is a covenantal relationship that you have with your Spouse, And Jesus reminds them of the significance of marriage by pointing back to the original design of it. And in verse 7, listen to what the Pharisees say. They said, okay, well, Jesus, okay, if, that, if that's true, then why did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? So, Jesus, if, if divorce is such a big deal, if God doesn't want us to get divorced, if he wants marriage to be for a lifetime, then why did Moses give a certificate of divorce to people in this context? Right? And here's how Jesus responds. Verse 8. Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. Jesus says marriage is meant to be for a lifetime. The Pharisees say, then why did we get a certificate of divorce? And what Jesus reminds them of is this. The reason the certificate of divorce was given was actually to protect your ex-wife. To protect her, because you wouldn't repent of your sins that led you to mistreating her. And so, what Jesus does is he points back and he says, Look, I want to remind you once again divorce was not a part of the original plan. Divorce was meant to be, again, between one man and one woman for one life. And the question we need to ask is why, why does God care so much about a stand with one person, right? Whether your husband or your wife, for one lifetime? I mean, if you ever wonder, like, why is that such a big deal to God? We should ask that. I mean, some of you, maybe you've wondered that. What we need to remember is God. He always gives us certain boundaries for a reason. He always does things the way He does them, right? Because they're for our good and they're for His glory. And when it comes to marriage, things are no different. The reason that God wants us to stay with our husband, with our wife, right? To be with our spouse for one lifetime is because ultimately the whole point of marriage is this, right? You ready for it? If anybody ever asks you what the point of marriage is, here it is. According to the Bible, the whole purpose of marriage is it's not simply to be a picture of a consumeristic love that is all about us getting what we want, but rather Marriage is meant to be a picture of the covenant of love that Christ has showed for his church. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31, Paul quotes God from Genesis 2 and says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Talking about in marriage. And then he goes on in verse 32 and listen to this. Paul says, This mystery is profound, but I'm saying to you that it refers to Christ and the church. Marriage is actually meant to be a canvas where we paint a picture to the world of the unending, never giving up, always and forever love that Jesus has for his bride, the church. What that means then is that marriage is not primarily about your happiness, but it's actually about the gospel. And we see just such a great picture of this in several places of the Bible, but but I can't think of a picture that's more clear than what we see in the book of Hosea. I don't know if you've ever read the book of Hosea, but but in chapter one, verse two, listen to what God says to Hosea. He says this. It says, When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go and take to yourself a wife of whoredom, and have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. I don't know whenever you sort of listen to this podcast, if you expected for the, the preacher on the other end to say the word whore three different times. But here it is, right? It's from God's word. God comes to Hosea and he says, Hosea, look, I've got a girl for you. All right. You should be excited. I've got a wife for you that I want you to take. I want her to be yours. But here's what you need to know, Hosea, that that whenever you marry her, this lady's never going to be faithful to you. In fact, she's committed great whoredom, right, with her life, and that's not going to change. I want you to stay faithful to her, though. I want you to pursue her. I want you to love her well, despite the fact she's not going to love you well. So just imagine being in Hosea's place. Right? I mean, he's sitting here, and on his wedding day, as they exchange vows, he knows that every single vow that his wife is going to make to him will be a lie. She is not going to hold true to her promises. If this was me and God asked me to do it, I'm not sure I'd be spiritual enough to do it. But yet, what do we see in verse 3? It says that Hosea went and he took Gomer, which I'm sure was a beautiful name back in its day. Hosea listens to God. He goes and he takes Gomer as his wife. Now the question is, why in the world would God ask Hosea to do something like this? Well, if you keep reading the book, and we even saw it in verse 2, the reason why is... God wants Hosea to take Gomer, a woman who will be unfaithful to him. And he says, I want you to pursue your bride with a never-giving-up type of love. I want you to be faithful to her even when she is faithless because your marriage is a picture of my marriage, of my relationship to my bride, the church. See, whenever we understand sin... And we see how much we sin against God. The way the Bible speaks of it here in Hosea is every time that we sin, it's like we are committing an affair on God. We're choosing to not be faithful to him. But what does he continue to do? He continues to love us, continues to pursue us, continues to show us mercy, continues to extend his grace. And he says to Hosea, this is what I want your marriage to be a picture of. I want for whatever people look at your relationship with your wife, they get a glimpse of the kind of love that I have for my wife, for my bride, the church. I don't know what your view is of God, but the reality is whenever you look in the Bible, the image that we see of God is a God who jealously pursues his bride with a perfect, unconditional love that does not waver despite the bride's unfaithfulness. And you see, the problem with divorce is, It destroys this image of God that he's asked for us to portray to the world. And so the question is, this morning, maybe some of you, you've been divorced, and you're already starting to ask yourself, okay, well, where does this leave me? Right? I mean, I've been divorced, and and maybe you've even heard growing up, right, that in the book of Malachi, it says, God hates divorce. Okay, So, so, so what about me? Where does that leave me if I've been divorced and God hates it? Well, I want to be very clear that yes, God hates divorce, but though he hates divorce, he does not hate those of you who have been divorced. In fact, if you're in Christ, Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation on you. God is not even angry at you anymore. Jesus came and he went to the cross and he took the anger reserved for you. And now whenever the Father looks at you, he delights in you. He He loves you, not because of your work or your lack thereof, but because of the perfect work of Christ on your behalf. The great scandalous news of the gospel is this, is that even if you have been unfaithful to your spouse, the real Jesus will never be unfaithful to his spouse. The good news this morning that you need to hear is this, is that if you have failed to keep your wedding vows, that you made to your spouse, the real Jesus will never fail to keep the wedding vows that he's made to you as his spouse. In Romans chapter 8, verse 33, I love this text. And in a lot of ways, this is really Jesus' wedding vows to you. I want you to hear this. In Romans eight thirty-three, it says, Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Is there any of you listening to this podcast and maybe you feel like you have a charge against you? Maybe you feel like you walk around with a big D on your chest that just says, Hey, I've been divorced, and everyone's just kind of being like, Hey, there she comes again, right? That one lady that could hold her marriage together. Here's that man that failed at keeping his right marriage intact. You ever feel that way, like you're being charged? Well, listen to these words in Romans eight thirty three. Who can bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. You hear that? Your church doesn't justify you. Your friends doesn't justify you. Your ex-spouse doesn't justify you. God is the one who justifies. Verse thirty-four: Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God. Who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Hear this. Here's his wedding vows to you. Who shall separate you from the love of Christ? Hear him say that. Who shall separate you from my love? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all of these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure... Listen to Jesus' words. Listen to this. This is this is Paul's words, but I believe that, man, this is what Christ would speak to you as his vows towards you. I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. What great news. If you have been divorced and you are broken over that divorce, hear Jesus speak to you and say, I want you to bring your brokenness to me and I want to bless you. I want to heal you. If you are someone who feels crushed over your divorce, if you mourn your divorce, bring your mourning to Jesus and he wants to turn that mourning into joy. He doesn't want to crush you. He wants to comfort you. Yes, God hates divorce, but he does not hate you. He loves you. And If there's anything that we've learned from this Real Jesus sermon series, what we've learned is this, is that Jesus did not come for the perfect. He didn't come for those who have had the perfect marriage and the perfect life and in no way stand in need for Jesus. He came for those who know they are poor who know that spiritually they are bankrupt before God, they have nothing to offer Him, that they are a mess, and that, yes, they've jacked their life up in so many ways, and He wants you to bring all of that to Him. And He says, when you do, you will be blessed, and you'll be cared for, and you'll be comforted. And that's the first point that I want to make this morning. The second point I I want you to see in this passage is this, as though God does hate divorce, though He's never pro-divorce, He does give permission for divorce. If you look again in verse 32, Matthew chapter 5, flip back with me and look in verse 32. Jesus says, I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. Sex is a big deal to God. And it's a big deal to God because it's meant to serve as a seal to the covenant relationship that we have in marriage. Sex is a symbol of... Right? To our spouse. We are saying that just as I'm giving you my physical body, I, this is a representation for the fact that I've already given you my entire life. I'm giving you my entire body as a symbol that I've given you my entire life in this covenant relationship. And what Jesus wants us to see in this passage is this. Whenever you are married and you have sex with someone who is not your spouse, when you have sex outside of that covenant relationship, in that very act you are breaking the covenant relationship that you have entered into with your spouse and in this act jesus i believe here gives permission for divorce and now let me say this and it's going to be somewhat controversial possibly you can um by the way if you google you know christian divorce or whatever else you can probably come up with 10 pastors that have 10 different views on divorce and, and these type of things so if you don't like this message you go and I'm sure you can go find one that you'll like better than this one but here's what I want you to see. I believe, and the pastors of the church believe this, that, that not only does Jesus say sexual idolatry is something that gives us permission for divorce, but I also believe that in this <clears throat> act, excuse me, that he also gives us permission to remarry. And there's a couple of reasons why I believe that. It is one, because of the grammatical structure we find in chapter 19, verse 9, in the passage we looked at earlier. In chapter 19, verse 9, Jesus again speaking on divorce and about this idea of sexual uh, immorality. He says this in verse 9 of chapter 19, Whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality marries and marries another commits adultery. I believe that except clause that we see in there is Jesus' way of saying that that if you have the partner that commits adultery on you, and you are the innocent party, you can remarry and not commit adultery yourself. right? If you have someone that committed adultery on you, and you're the innocent party, you can get divorced and you can remarry without yourself committing adultery or causing the other person to do likewise. So That's one reason I believe that. Another reason I believe this is because all scholars on every side would agree that remarriage was a valid option after a valid divorce for first century Jews. Right, If somebody um, was married and their spouse committed adultery on them, the innocent party would oftentimes go and remarry. This happened in this culture. And I believe that if Jesus wanted to stop that, right, he would have been far more clear than what we see in him being on this issue of remarriage. And so that's what I hold to as the pastors of our church uh, hold to as well. Now, listen, that being said, listen very carefully. Though Jesus permits divorce, and though I believe he permits remarriage, In these situations, this situation we just mentioned, he never commands divorce. God's desire is always that we do whatever we can to preserve the marriage. Okay, so this is not some sort of text where he's saying, oh, someone committed adultery on You should definitely get out of that. No, like God's desire would be for us to make things work in that marriage. And I want to be clear on that because sometimes I believe that people are like the Pharisees, right? You're looking for an excuse to get out of your marriage. It's like, well, my, my marriage is boring. I don't know, the spouse doesn't look the way that he or she used to look. Or I found someone else at work that I connect with on a more intimate level. And you're just looking for a way out of marriage. So you're just waiting for, for your spouse to do something that gives you some sort of way to get out and to go find somebody else you can be married to. And here's why so many, I believe, do this. Because these are folks that have bought into the lie. That if you're ever going to be satisfied, you're going to have to find a better spouse in order to experience that satisfaction. And if that is you, and you're listening to this, what I want you to hear is this. Is if you're looking for satisfaction, ultimate satisfaction you were created for, you do not need a better spouse. Instead, what you need is a perfect savior. True joy is not found in some future spouse. But rather, true joy is found in a faithful Savior. And, and, and I get it. I, I get it. Look, everything in culture says something different than what I just said. Okay? I, I know. Some of you are like, Jerry, you need to go back to the Stone Age and get with the program. Right? I, I've seen the material that Hollywood puts out. right? I, I've watched Jerry Maguire. Right? Some of you, maybe you remember that movie, What Happens in Jerry Maguire... As Jerry comes home, and and him and Dorothy, his wife, are on the rocks. And Dorothy's sitting there with all of her friends. And what happens in in this scene? Jerry walks in and he says to Dorothy, Tonight, our company had a big night. It was a very, very big night. But it wasn't complete, because I couldn't share it with you. He says, I love you. And then he says a famous line, and Dorothy says, Because you complete me. And then what does Dorothy do? She says, Shut up, just shut up. And then she says her famous line, You had me at hello. And every woman in the theater is crying, right? It's a good scene, but it's terrible theology. Because the reality is there is no person other than Jesus Christ who can complete you. And when you buy into the lie that there is some spouse out there that can complete you. And that they can do for you what only Jesus can do. Here's what will happen. You will begin to put an unfair weight that only Jesus can carry. An unfair amount of weight on your spouse that they will not be able to carry. And eventually you will crush them with those expectations. And either they will leave because they can't live up to your standard or you will leave because you will think there is somebody else out there that can carry that weight. The truth is, we know we're not complete. We all know we're broken. All of us long to be redeemed. All of us long to be restored. But listen, marriage cannot do that for you. Only the real Jesus can. Time and time again, I have sat in my office... And done marriage counseling with couples that I believe are on the verge of getting divorced. And the reason why is this. The number one reason I think couples oftentimes end up getting divorced is because they go into marriage with too high of expectations. They go into a marriage expecting their spouse to do for them what only Jesus can do. And listen, what the real Jesus is saying to you, I believe, is this. Stop asking your spouse to be Jesus to you and let me be Jesus to you. Receive my love. Taste of my forgiveness. Feel my pursuit. And when this happens, when this happens, you'll be satisfied. And you'll be able to pursue and love and forgive the spouse that you find yourselves with. Even if you think you've married someone that's crazy. You will. Now, Jesus finishes up this little section on divorce. And he transitions into this idea where he talks about promises and oaths. And I think those definitely tie in well together. He talks about the promises we make in marriage. But here's the deal. Jesus isn't just concerned about our relationships with our spouse, but he's concerned about our relationship with others as well. And our relationships are held together by words. And so what Jesus says here in verse 33-37, through 37, it's simple. He says, look, just learn to tell the truth. And this is something I believe all of us are bad at. Maybe you're listening and you say, well, I don't cheat on my taxes. Right, I, I I don't tell someone I'm gonna be somewhere at a certain time, and then I I show up at a different time. Like I'm an honest person, okay. And maybe on many regards you are, but aren't there areas that we often don't think of as lies, but but many of us do it on a pretty regular basis. I mean, you think about when it comes to things like exaggerating truths. Um, I, I've never done this personally, of course, but I've heard of people that in their marriages. Um, you know, they will, they will get into fights and one of the spouse will say to the other spouse, you know, you always do this or, you know, you never do whatever. And what we mean by that, by the way, is, is you just don't do this as much as I would like for you to do that. And so this is what happens in the, you know, the, uh, you know, one will say this to the other and the other one gets mad and they begin to fight. Again, I've never experienced this personally, but I, but I hear about people (laughs) that do that. Um, that's a lie. I should guess own up. Yes, I have done that. Guilty. But exaggerated lies, right? These are things that we do. Uh, maybe some of you, though, you don't exaggerate a lot. But this is something I think many of us, if not all of us, have done before. It's whenever we commit these little benevolent lies. okay? And this is whenever we tell somebody they're good at something when really they're not. right? And we, and we should be telling the truth and say, you should probably find something else that you are good at. But we'll lie and say, no, you're great at that. I did this just recently. I took my mom out for Mother's Day and we ate at a restaurant in town that was not good. And as a matter of fact, it was so bad that one couple refused to pay. Another one didn't finish the food, and they left. We couldn't even finish our food. But you know what? When the waitress came up to me and said, how's your food? you know what I said? Oh, it's great. It's excellent. Great job. Love it. No, that's a lie. It's a lie. Maybe for some of you, though, you don't commit the benevolent lies. But for you, you're someone who's known for making excuses. Right? You make up excuses. So you say, oh, you know, I would love to be there, but... But I've got to work late that day, so I won't be able to make it. Oh, what's that? It's on a Sunday. Well, shoot. Um, yeah, we've got this one deal at this one place. I'd love to be there, really, really would, but I can't. No matter how hard I want to. Right. These are things I believe all of us at times have done. And why do we do this? Because it keeps us from paying a price. It, it protects us. It benefits us. Right. And we've talked about the four root idols before that I believe everybody has at least one of them. You know, approval. Uh, comfort, control, and power, right? If you're an approval person, why do you lie? Because it protects your image. If you're a control person, why do you lie? Because it, it helps you, you know, to, to keep from losing control. If you struggle with comfort, you build your life on comfort. Why do you lie? To, will it will protect yourself from some sort of suffering. If you struggle with power, why do you lie? It's to, to justify yourself and to prove your worth. And this is what we see going on in this culture. People had lied so much, in fact, they begin to make these elaborate claims, these elaborate vows and promises so people would believe them. So they would say things like this, I swear by the city of Jerusalem that I will be there at this time, or I swear on my mother's grave, or by my beard, I will come through, right? I mean, literally, this is the stuff they would do, and, and what Jesus says is, look, don't live that way. Just live an honest life where people know you're an honest person and your yes can be yes, and your no can be no. This is a life we're to live. And when we begin to make these elaborate claims, when we begin to have to try to add things just to our yeses and our noes, I mean, doesn't it really just kind of call into question everything else we said? And, and we've all done this. I mean, even as a pastor, right, there's been times where, you know, I'll get real serious and I'll say, okay, guys, like, I just want to be real honest with you right now. And you're probably sitting thinking like, okay, was he not being honest with us before? Right? <laughs> Jesus is clear here. Live and... In such a way that people know you're a man or you're a woman of integrity. Right, don't be deceitful. Be honest. Learn to tell the truth and actually stick to your word. For many of us in here, this has not been what has marked our lives, probably. I mean, all of us can say that, that there are times we have not been faithful to our spouse even if we've never been divorced we've not been perfectly faithful there are times that we have broken promises not just to our spouse but to to those around us we've not held true to our word and what i just want to remind you of this morning is this the way you can walk out of here you know and 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 walk away from this message and not feel like you've been beat up or, or have guilt just piled up on you is to remember though you have not been perfectly faithful Though you have not always been truthful, Jesus has been perfectly truthful and faithful on your behalf. Do you remember in John 18, when Jesus is on trial, it's right before his crucifixion, and one of the Pharisees hit Jesus. And Jesus says, the reason you hit me is because I told you the truth. The Pharisees hated when Jesus spoke the truth. And eventually, Jesus' truth telling, his honesty, is what would drive him to the cross. And what I want you to be reminded of is this, is in Jesus' honesty, he went and died for your dishonesty. It was in Jesus' faithfulness that he was driven to the cross, and in his faithfulness, he went and he died for your unfaithfulness. Though Jesus never spoke a lie, he would go to the cross and he took the wrath and the death reserved for liars. Though Jesus never cheated once in his life, He went to the cross and he took the death and the wrath reserved for cheaters. Though he never broke a promise, he went to the cross and he took the wrath and death reserved for those of us who have not kept our promises. And the reality is now the gospel tells us that when we trust in what Christ has done for us on the cross, rather than receiving the wrath reserved for us, we can be clothed with the perfect righteousness of Christ and we can stand before God as his dearly beloved children no matter what we've done or where we've come from. I want to end this message with an encouragement from Zephaniah 3.17. And I want you to just hear this. Maybe some of you you're still carrying guilt, you're still carrying shame over a past divorce or over some broken promises. And I want you to just hear these words from Zephaniah 3.17. The Bible says, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save you. He takes great delight in you. He will quiet you by his love, and he rejoices over you with loud singing. The whole world might be against you. Maybe they are trying to charge you. Maybe they're still trying to remind you of your past. But if you're in Christ, God rejoices over you. He smiles when He looks at you. He actually sings over you. I pray that you begin to see that the Father does not want you walking around carrying shame guilt he doesn't want you to find your identity in someone who has been divorced or someone who has broken promises but rather he wants you to find your identity in christ the one who has kept every promise that he has made to us and though we have all been unfaithful he continues to be faithful to us